When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Stranger Things Season 4 is over, but we are just getting started here on Post Show Recaps. Hello, everybody. Mike Bloom here welcoming you back. After a brief sojourn, we have finished uh, the first era of Stranger Things Season 4 coverage. Maybe the second era because we pushed through the first seven episodes. Took a hot second to answer some feedback, do a Vecna battle that actually ended up probably in the same place as the actual Vecna battle did. Watch a couple more episodes. Did a few more podcasts, and here we are to look back on the entirety of Stranger Things Season 4 as a whole, look back on Volume 2 specifically, and perhaps look ahead to what's coming with Season 5 in 20XX. Who is to say? But Josh is, of course, not here. He's taking a brief uh, sojourn to the upside down, as it were. We wish Josh all the best and hope the demo bats don't bite at night. But in his place, I have assembled two lovely guests here luminaries of post-show recaps who I know both love Stranger Things yet have never had the opportunity to speak about it on a microphone. I am making good on those opportunities right now. I'm handing both of them their respective podcast guitars and saying shred away. So let me welcome them in to talk all about Stranger Things season four and the series as a whole. Of course, first off, the great Jess Sterling. Jess, how are you? Huzzah! I'm so excited to be here talking about Stranger Things. Can't wait. It's going to be great. <laughs> I was going to say, like, you were doing, I don't know, the spinoff set in, like, 16th century Stranger Things with that huzzah. Because <laughs> it's D&D. It's D&D. It's scary. It's 
people getting into battles with Vecna. Like, you got to do a huzzah for that. I suppose so. Though a little bit of like a solemn huzzah, considering the way that everything ends. A little bit of like a meek, not as much effort put into it. Exactly. (laughs) Well, I'm going to give a resounding huzzah, though, to this guy who I've had the pleasure of talking to quite a number of times this past week. And now we are rolling it back to the 80s, the era of Soldier Boy from the boys with stranger things the great kevin mahadeo kevin how are you what's going on should i go do some solid gold right now do some little speak song singing a la soldier boy that's uh for our boys fans listening in <laughs> but this is the era of hard rock and metallica which i am all about uh i'm a really big metallica fan so uh hearing master puppets was very exciting um, I was commenting in the Discord because I was like, oh, I think this song would be better. And then I got receipt checked because they're like, didn't that come out in 97? And I was like, that's a good point. Didn't even think about the fact <laughs> that this is the 80s again. And uh, yeah, okay, mm-hmm. fair enough. <laughs> and and there are already people online that are stretching credulity by being like, Master Puppets came out about a month before this season is supposed to gosh. air. So like, Eddie clearly spent all his free time just like practicing by ear, in which case... We are truly mourning an incredible musician. Maybe mm-hmm. perhaps the next Mozart, considering he was able to learn the entirety of Master of Puppets by ear. Kevin, you surprised me in so many ways. And I guess the most recent being, I had no idea you were a Metallica fan. Uh, yes. Um, so I, uh, I, I've been, people have told me since I was like 24, I have the musical taste of a 40-year-old because... <laughs> Um, legit, like my, I, I loved classic rock, Metallica. Um, actually, not a huge spoiler, but I saw Thor earlier and full of Guns N' Roses, which is another favorite mm-hmm. band of mine. ACDC, Van Halen, like I, classic rock is like my thing, but like Metallica, the Black Album was one of the first CDs I bought. The other being Rob Zombie's Hillbilly Deluxe, which was equally excellent. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I, I'm, I'm a big like rock person uh said metallica is amazing i think kirk hammett is like one of the greatest guitarists of all time i think he's up there with eddie van halen and um and months and munson and munson if he did this right and uh like um slash i think equally incredible from uh gnr but yeah um and of course i'm gonna have to say hendrix and page or else people are gonna stone me to death but yes uh needless to say big classic rock fan and a huge metallica fan I just actually re-listened to the entire SNM album. Both <laughs> I had both CDs um, because of uh, of of, of uh, Stranger Things and the reigniting of Metallica. I got Napstered by them. That I got one of this. I was cease and desisted. <laughs> so you essentially were doing what a bunch of people have been doing since the episodes have come out. I do believe that Master Puppets. I don't think it's. I don't know if it's jumped up to number. I think one. It, it did hit number one. I read. I think a few days ago. I thought. Yeah, so it definitely has the running up that hill effect, right? Of just, like, getting this boost in popularity, which is wild, but so much fun, considering how epic that sequence was. I want to dial things back, lens it out a little bit, because, again, I'd be remiss not to ask you both, like, your respective histories with Stranger Things in general before we even get into Season 4 and what you love about the show so much. Jess, I'll start with you, because correct me if I'm wrong here, your experience (laughs) with Stranger Things is, like, rather recent, I believe. It is. I had never seen Stranger Things up until February of 2021. 
um it was it was like on my radar i knew it existed like i don't live under a rock how could you not out there (laughs) but it was more that i never thought it would be something i would enjoy because i'm not i it looks scary to me and i'm not Mm -hmm. a huge fan of like the horror genre um and i don't remember exactly why we started this but my husband and i we decided we were going to watch it together he had stopped like midway through season two so he hadn't seen all three seasons either so uh if you are a post show recaps page and have been in our discord i watched it and put all my thoughts out for people to see as i watched it live um so you can see you can go back and i actually went through and i read the history of all of my thoughts on stranger things before oh, this podcast nice i want to remember have, yeah what past jess said yeah and it was very enjoyable let me tell you to go back and like season one i absolutely hated hopper and steve i hated them because don't forget, Steve sucked at one time, people. He oh, yeah. wasn't always mom Steve. He started out being douchey Steve, and I hated him. And it was really funny because everyone else knew, right? They all knew by season three Steve would be super lovable and, and all of that. So, um, yeah, it just it – just, we binged it in, gosh, a matter of, like, two weeks, less than two weeks. We binged all three seasons. Uh, we were ready for season four. Um, but I just, I love the characters and this also, uh, this also came into play for me a month after I started playing D and D is when I watched stranger things. Mm. So all the D and D stuff hit very well for me. I love these characters. Um, there are certain storylines that maybe I, you know, I think I'm on board with the season one is probably the best, although I really love season three as well. Season two fell a little bit more flat for me. But obviously we get Max, who is one of my favorite characters showing up in season two. So, um, yeah, I would say in terms of like any hot takes I had, I always hated Nancy and Jonathan. Um, I saw that wow. crap coming from a mile away. And I was like, why is he being a creeper? Why is he taking photos of her? What's he doing? Like, I always was like very anti-Jonathan. He's a weirdo. Like, Nancy, stay away from him, please. I was very on the justice for Barb bandwagon as well. Um, Even though I didn't know that was even a thing at the time, I was very much like, yeah, Barb is the best. Um, So that's just a kind of my, my brief history with stranger things thus far. (laughs) Wow. You heard it here first. Like Jess has a lot of things to say about maybe the teenagers and the teenagers only, though. I'm sure we could like pull some opinions out of you. I'm sure as this podcast continues. Kevin, what about you? Because I know you were someone who absolutely adores uh, that era of horror, which really Stranger Things was set up as from the very beginning. Were you a day oneer? Did you catch on to this early on? And what has kept you going forward to the point that you're talking with us today? Day one, Stranger Things, yes. Uh, I watched it when it premiered. I think Robert and I binged that first season almost instantaneously. Uh, we really, really liked the first season. I do think the first season is still the strongest. I think it's it, I think it's about the best season. Um, it's well executed. The kids are the ages they're said to be, <laughs> as opposed to like <laughs> you are a thirty five year old man. What do you mean you are a freshman? Um, but yeah, uh, really liked it. Uh, that first season I think is really really good, um, and I've kept up with it since. Um, I oh man, there's so many things just said that had my face like some some flames <laughs> on the side of my face moments, but. We're probably going to get to them. Um, I'm sure. Yeah. uh, So I really liked the first season. I did not like the second season. Um, I liked parts of the second season. 
there's something, and I'm just, I'm gonna say on the podcast, and if you're if you if you've ever heard me, this should be hardly a shock, but I'm gonna talk about racism real quick. Um, but like season two infuriated me because they introduced that other squad, and I was like, let me get this straight. You have one squad of like uh people who are the team, and it's almost all white people and one black person, and then the other squad is all minorities, and they're the bad guys, and they're like evil interesting your brotherhood of evil mutants are all minorities wow okay sure why not yeah that's fine uh so that really bothered me because they also were clearly oblivious to it and i was just like just ha- just have some people of color talk to you about that first before you do it um so season two really bothered me but season three i thought recovered pretty well i really liked a lot of, of season three um and then going into season four Robin had fallen out of it by season three. She was like, ah, I'm not as into this anymore. And then everyone online was talking about season four. Mm-hmm. I'd watched all of it. And I was like, honestly, it's pretty good. I actually spoiled her on something really big. Cause I was like, you're never going to watch this. It's really cool. Let me tell you about this. She's seeing all the memes. So she knew about Chrissy wake up and she's like, what is this? Uh, so all the, the meme stuff was happening. And I was like, I'm going to watch the final two episodes. And she's just like, I feel like I should watch it. So we binged the first part of season four again. <laughs> like I watched it with her <laughs> and then we rolled right into the, the final two episodes of uh, um, the season four, right? The ones that just dropped. Uh, ultimately, we both uh, liked it. I, I probably liked it a little more than her. Mm. I do like the first drop more than the second drop, but I still think the season is very strong. I have thoughts and feelings, shockingly, about the final episode specifically um but yeah i i just like there's a lot in there that i think speaks to me obviously from the 80s stuff but what i really loved about season four is that i think it went back to those horror roots the Mm -hmm. show was always pretty scary but i think season one had so much of that and plus as you said i'm such a horror movie fan that i immediately was just like are they just doing nightmare come on guys you're just doing nightmare on elm street but then they actually had robert unglin in it i was like all right fair enough you know what you're doing so you asked him to show up And that's really interesting. I was actually reading an interview, one of many with the the Duffer brothers that was given after the season. And they said that the casting of Robert England, completely coincidental. That there had been several self-tapes that had been sent in uh, from several different actors. And Robert England just happened to do it like there was no knowledge from him from Robert England about the fact that they were doing a storyline that mimicked Nightmare on Elm Street. And so they were like, holy shit like first off that's robert effing england and b like god talk about circumstances lining up in a weird Mm -hmm. fashion like we have to get him on to do this thing so yeah if the duffers are to be believed they did not seek out robert england it was just the winds of fate blew him into our proximity for season four well what i love about it too is and this is what i mean like they were doing nightmare and i was okay with it more or less right because I think two seasons two and three, part of the the not as good as one for me is that it became so much more of just direct references, right? Where it's just like, yo, they're wearing the Ghostbuster costumes. I'm like, right. And like, you know, this just like, here's the thing. And I'm like, yes, I, I do like the thing. But with this, it's it's not, it's Nightmare, but it's their own take on Nightmare. Like the visuals are different. The mood is there. It mm. has the feel of Nightmare, but they didn't have a scene where like, if when Max was running down the stairs and like her, or it was a Chrissy was going down the stairs and her feet sunk into the, the, the carpet, I'd be like, okay, yeah, I get it. Nightmare. Sure. But they didn't do that. And I think that's great is that they weren't going for like, look guys, remember the thing. It's more of just like mood and tone. And I think that's such a great way of hearkening back and doing nostalgia as opposed to just 
waving the thing in front of you that you like and you're just like yes yes like a dog um but <laughs> i will say and um, um listen i gotta say this because jess you have definitely triggered me with the justice for barb thing i hate it i hate it <laughs> i hate it so much i don't like that character i don't <gasps> like the character because of the justice for barb nonsense See? around it the fact that season two had to become a justice for barb storyline oh. What? <laughs> no, no, no. I am there with you, Kevin. See, you have to remember that I watched this. I watched season one in a bubble. Like, I didn't know mm. that that had existed because at the time that it was released, I wasn't in that like, vicinity. I wasn't in that environment. I didn't know Justice for, Justice for Barb even existed. I think my my problem in watching season one was I was like, why did they kill off Barb when they could have just taken stupid Nancy? Like, I want Barb around. Get rid of Nancy. And That's then season wild. two. <laughs> I know. And then season two rolls around. And I was like, oh. So I got really frustrated because I could, I could sense that the creators were like, oh, let's insert Barb back into the narrative. And I was like, you didn't care about her last season. And now you're going to care about her suddenly. I was annoyed as well. So it wasn't like I'm more of just like, really lashed onto that character in the first episode of the show and wanted more of her. And I kept, because Will was alive at the end of season one, I was like, oh, maybe Barb will be like alive too. And then she wasn't. And I was so upset, I, but I'm with you in hating the way they do justice for Barb in season two. Yes. The season two sucks, but also I'm convinced of two things in this world. <laughs> There's just these two. The first, and they're semi-related, mm -hmm. is the Mandela effect exists specifically what we've been taught like what like they talk about the nelson mandela part of it but a big one is always the sinbad was a genie right right and everyone's uh, like no that never shazam shazam, shazam not versus kazam yeah. uh and so like what i'm convinced happened is that someone said there's a movie it's called like you Sinbad's a genie it's like kazam shazam or something like that and they're like that was shaquille o'neal kazam and he was just like oh my god i'm a racist and then he went no, I'm not. No, this movie definitely existed. I swear to God, I didn't confuse Shaquille O'Neal and Sinbad. It was I, I, for real. It's real. And then everyone else bought into it because he was so desperate to be like, I'm not a racist. No, that didn't happen. And I think that's how the Mandela effect happened on that. And then the other one is Barb. I am convinced that Barb showed up and was so tailor-made to a very specific type to be like, Oh, look at how she dressed. And she's like uh, wearing the glasses and stuff. She's she's this character. And everyone on the internet was just like, I love, like everyone thought in their heads, like I'm going to love Barb, ironically. And then everyone actually ended up liking Barb, ironically. And we're just like, okay, well, I have to double down. If everyone's doing it ironically, I have to be on purpose. And they flipped it. And now there was this Barb obsession because Barb is boring. She's completely <gasps> milk toast. She, her <gasps> entire thing is just like, Nancy, why do we have to go to a party? Yeah, because like, it's a Tuesday, Kevin. It's a Tuesday. No, stay home. Party on a Tuesday. <laughs> stay like, home. Barb, and if no. you're going to be there, she's just sitting on the pool like, man, this sucks. Yeah, because I'm by her myself. friend ditched her because Nancy is a jerk. And she's like, I'm going to ditch Barb and go hang out well, with yeah, my yeah, If Barb's that boyfriend. boring and that annoying to be around, I would also Oh, my God. Them. Barb is all of us all the introverts at heart that are like i don't want to hang out with anybody i will go i had compared in my in my reading of my own notes i had compared barb to like that super skeptical best friend on 90 day fiance who's like this isn't gonna work out nancy this isn't gonna work out with you and steve and i'm like yeah you're right barb you're right barb she's gonna end up with stupid creeper jonathan who has a terrible haircut you're so right barb I mean, listen, if we're throwing stones in this glass house, if, if someone's calling someone else having a terrible haircut, like, 
honestly, there are more bad than good. Uh, I will also say this this pairing is worth the price of admission if only to get the two of you facing (laughs) off against Barb here. I just really hate the Barb stuff so much. It was so bonkers I hate the justice for Barb stuff, but I don't, I like Barb. Like, there's a difference between, you know, I don't like what they did in season two trying to walk it all back. That was ridiculous. I I think she's fine. This is ridiculous. (laughs) Everyone has an opinion about her. She's been in, she was in two Two episodes. episodes. I know, we're still talking about this. (laughs) Mike, well, let's get to see, we have so many other characters to have justice for, right? Like, justice for freaking Eddie Munson. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Is dead, is dusted. To the point uh, that we talked about with Justice for Barb, it does seem like, not there's going to be a Justice for Eddie storyline, but the Duffers have been very upfront about how, like, his death is going to very clearly affect some people. Cough, cough, Dustin, I would imagine, most of all. Yeah. But, but let's bring things back to season four, because Jess, you're someone who said the reason why you wanted to stay away from Stranger Things in the first place was the horror, was the frightening aspects. To Kevin's point, and I very much agree, and I would say maybe even this supersedes season one as, like, the scariest season of the show yet. Was that a detractor for you at all? Or was this, like, you had been so accustomed and so in love with most of these characters that that helped kind of buoy you past the admittedly objectively frightening things? Yeah, I would say it didn't bother me as much because I was acclimated to the environment that I was in. On top mm. of the fact that um, I I actually felt like I could stomach this season better because it's creepy and it's scary. It's not gross. Like, there were way worse things. Like, I'm thinking the rats, right? Like, the nasty mm. rats, the big, like, people that would turn into goo and turn into a giant monster. That was so much grosser for me than Vecna, who is basically trying to like, although I will say the cracking of the limbs was a lot. Um, but <laughs> like the, the Vecna of it all, him being like a mind flayer of sorts, you know, like getting into your head, that's really scary and like traumatizing, but not uh, jump scary in the way that I'm not a huge fan of. And it wasn't gross, I would say. Sure, he he looks pretty nasty. Um, but it, I was able to stomach it. And I thought that they did a really good job of like immersing you in and getting you scared, but not not being like jump scare for jump scare's sake. Mm. Yeah, Kevin, what did you think? You sort of alluded to it before about the way that the the horror ended up playing out. Like you said, separating itself from Nightmare on Elm Street with every single bone that ended up cracking starting in that first episode. I yeah, I love the horror element of uh of this season and the fact that they amped it up. I think they just made uh, the horror slightly more adult as well with the graphic death scenes, I guess. And I, I agree, there wasn't jump scares. It it's really was about mood and tone and atmosphere, which I is the horror I prefer versus like boo, something came out of the shadows. Um, and so I really liked that. I honestly was really into it from the you know how they were playing with it to begin with. But then that ending moment, of course, with the Chrissy, can you wake up? I or Chrissy, wake up? I was just like, <gasps> like it was just such a like, oh my god, Stranger Things just went adult. Um, and I thought that was really great. And obviously that's a motif that carries on. Uh, I, yeah, I really enjoyed it. I think they did adult up this season in a really cool way, raised Mm. a lot of stakes up until the last episode, in my opinion. But, um, overall, like it just had so much great stuff that I think harkened back to it, going through microfish to find the old articles, the backstory that you think is what you, you know, what it is. Then you find out the twist, which is, I think. The twist alone for me made this season. Um, it's phenomenal. Episode seven is probably my favorite because like, holy shit. <laughs> like mm-hmm. not only just that, but the score in the reveal of that and when they mm-hmm. do the actual backstory, I think is like A plus. Um, 
but the horror elements i think were on point and i really really liked it for that reason because like there was something like yeah like old school horror about it that i think worked really well so I want to drill into some of the feedback that, of course, we got a lot of. Uh, thank you to everyone that has been sending us stuff or even just, like, pinging off in the aforementioned Discord that just mentioned if you're a patron of Post Show Recaps. There was a lot to comb through to get stuff for today. Let me start by reading just a few, like, general comments from the patrons. And actually, I'll start with some podcasters as well about Stranger Things Season 4. From the great Grace Leader, Grace said, I really, really love that. I think that was a true return to form for Stranger Things. It's probably not season one level good, but it doesn't need to be. I feel like pretty much everything was enjoyable for me. Pretty much every character got enough for me, considering it's such a large cast. I know uh, both Grace and DM Philly are avowed fans of the Russia storyline, which we'll certainly get into. Marissa says, I think this series kind of redeemed itself here. While some stuff was predictable, some stuff wasn't. I thought it really brought the emotions back to it too. On that note, I am particularly appreciative of Elle's powers sometimes being depicted as pure rage. Women's rage is powerful and can save the world is a message I kind of needed right now. Not sure how much more they can stretch this out, but looking forward to the final showdown. On the slight other side of the spectrum here, I'm going to go to our good friend Adam, uh, who not only co-hosts coverage of Arcane, uh, but is also one of the, the prominent DMs in the Poster Recaps patron discord uh, when it comes to D&D. Adam said, I'm very interested to see how this plays on a rewatch, because after just finishing it, my main takeaway is that it did not meet my expectations. It's possible that I was expecting too much, but considering the magnitude of the show and the potential of the story, combined with the overall prowess and excellence we have been getting, I actually don't think that is, that is it. I think there was just too much here that missed for me. Uh, he goes in to talk about, like, how he feels the Russia storyline was indefensible in retrospect, uh, some Mike and Will stuff that was left on the table. He basically uh, alluded to the fact that he, in so many words, felt like the original core four were kind of sidelined this season in service of a lot of other character storylines. So I thought it was a really interesting perspective from Adam as well. That again, I don't think is entirely negative, but perhaps pushes against that more general opinions of, this was great. Really enjoyed a lot of it. Let me sort of distill that through both of your opinions. Jess, I guess either in response or just completely corollary to it. What were your thoughts on season four overall now that we have all nine episodes in the rearview mirror? Yeah, um, I think I probably fall somewhere in between like Marissa and Grace and Adam because Russia did not work for me. I found myself struggling to pay attention in those scenes. It felt like very aimless and kind of I think one of the hard parts is we're lucky in that the episodes were lengthy and the final two of course were super long and we got a lot of content because there were a lot of storylines that felt really far away you know obviously geographically but also storyline wise from the main central group and I think the problem is they had heavy heavy hitters and like guaranteed successes all together sometimes in one group and then you kind of have these side ones that you don't care about as much for me personally I'm not the biggest Jonathan fan and I'm not the biggest Mike fan and so when you have those two in one group I'm like I don't know I'm, I'm my attention I mean Argyle knocks that out of the park right Argyle was the only thing keeping that group afloat for me personally <laughs> like he made me enjoy that experience whereas Russia really didn't have anything to redeem it it was really boring it dragged on for too long I thought that honestly and I don't know that I I'm not saying I wanted Hopper to die in season three but 
I kind of take issue with the fact that the show seems to like undercut their own deaths. And it's, I really wish shows wouldn't be so afraid to kill off main characters because we're, let's face it. We're in season four. We finished season four. We have one season left. You can't survive one season without some of these heavy hitters. It would just give so much more emotional impact if they stuck the landing on them. And so not to say I wish they had killed Hopper in season three, but like, why shift him to Russia for the whole season? It didn't make any sense to me. Um, and then, yeah, the the storylines, it just, if Russia didn't work for me and the Jonathan and Mike kind of grouping didn't work for me very well. Um, and then like, I don't know if we have other feedback on the utter undercutting death stuff, but I could save table that for, for when we get there because I just think they could have given us more than what they gave us in terms of character deaths, I think. Well, no, I want to tee that up for you. Like, do you have specific suggestions? Were there specific beats, I guess, within the finale mostly that you felt should have been differentiated? Yeah, I mean, I think the problem is we all knew Eddie was going to die. Like, that was pretty predictable. Um, Like, Papa dying was, you know, um, I loved the way they killed him, even though, again, we want him dead right? We want him dead. So I don't think that's like an emotional experience for us as much. It's a little emotional, I guess, when you look at like 11 didn't give him the satisfaction of like the, you know, that's the really only thing. And then I love Sadie Sink. Max is one of my favorite characters, but I feel like having 11 do the revivify thing kind of undercuts it because we are not dumb. Like the viewers are not stupid. We all know they're not going to revivify Max and then leave her in a coma all next season. Like we're we're smarter than that. I don't. I am assuming she's going to wake up, or maybe Eleven uses her mind or something like that. Right? It just felt too easy. We literally just saw this girl's limbs broken in half. She can't see, and yet we're keeping her alive. It just felt like the Eddie death was so traumatic for Dustin. Imagine Max dying. Like that is massive. That is huge. You have one season left. Like, commit to some character deaths. I just think they they hit the low-hanging fruit. I love Eddie. He's only been here one season. Like, they hit the low-hanging fruit. Be okay with losing a main cast member of some sort. Kevin, uh, I would imagine that since you were not alone, as Jess was saying, that some of your perhaps resentment towards the finale came from that choice. It's a lot of stuff. For, uh, you know, Jess might be wrong about Barb, but she's right about a lot of this stuff. Um, <laughs> she's right yeah, about the other uh, redhead in the right show. About, yeah. Um, just a lot of the notes that I think uh, of how I feel about the finale. And I think I'm uh, with Adam on, I think it it was a bit of a letdown or, or didn't build up to where it should have ended. Um, the like, Let's start with the Russia stuff. I, especially because like Adam's up the curious in the rewatch. I rewatched it, right? I rewatched yeah. the first seven episodes heading into the last. The Russia stuff is very bad. And the reason why is because not only does it drag, but they literally progress the story for four episodes and then drag them back to the start because it's like Hopper's trying to get out. He gets out. Whoop, they're all captured. And now the only thing that's different is that now Joyce is on the way. Ah, and it's just like, she was already on the way. So like the, that entire storyline was just, oh shit, we have to like, like kill minutes. Like, right. Like it was just like, we, oh, we have three more episodes. We didn't plot this right. Uh, and the other part that leads to it is that the Russia payoff was just not there. It was a reuniting of them, great, but the payoff itself wasn't there. And that leads into what I think is the structural problem with the finale. There's a lot of disparate pieces going on, and I think the original intent is interesting. 
I use this example a lot, but it's like it's from comics. And what they essentially were doing is pulling back from like the old Justice League, Justice Society crossovers they used to do. The modern day one that I use is always Seven Soldiers of Victory. It's a comic series written by Grant Morrison. It's really great. And the concept is these different characters, they're all fighting this evil and they're all doing something to stop it. But none of them know that the other people are even doing this. And so they're all working together and taking down this bad guy in different pieces. None of them have any clue that that's happening. So it's like a team up without, with a team who has no clue that they're teaming up. It's really effective. It's really well done. It's really cool. Um, they've done it in other comics and stuff, but that's the one I always go to because it's fun. This is what I think they were intending to do. They talked about it, and I was like, oh, this intent is interesting. You have um robin steve and nancy who are going to go into the upside down they're going to go to vecna's like physical form you have um you know uh, uh max and lucas who are going to try and uh distract him mentally and then l obviously is going to come in that way and you have the rest of them supporting l and then you have the other part which is hopper and them and i was like oh okay they'll take out the demigorgon which is supposed to weaken him and allow them to do stuff on paper, all of that is like, okay, got it. And of course, you know, Eddie playing the guitar to distract the demon bats. All of it on paper is like, that's really cool. The problem is none of it actually works out and none of them happens and none of it actually matters because they were so intent on having Eleven be Eleven to show up and do her thing that she always does that the rest of them got captured, right? Like uh, she gets Vecnid anyway, practically. Hopper and stuff don't do anything until like late in the game. And it's not until half of that is like meaningless that then they've set him on fire and he escapes any, like none of the pieces work. They should have had all the things come together and just be like, Elle's not the most important person here and like have her do a thing. But the rest of them are doing simultaneously. It had to happen simultaneously to have anything that they did mean anything. Yeah. And none of it did. And I think that's where it all falls apart is that they were so intent on having L be L again, that it's just like, oh, well the other characters as per the first three seasons, do not matter and have no real point or purpose in this fight. Um, And like, so that was my biggest uh, complaint. The other biggest complaint, I agree with Jeff so much because I loved Max this season. Max was so good this season. Oh yeah. She should have died. It should have been like stakes of Max dying would have been like, holy shit. And instead you have L basically Revive like Rivify, like casting Rivify on her, mm-hmm. but to know, like, we're not idiots. Jess is right. What they could have done, what I thought they were going to do, and could have been at least interesting to set us up for an interesting season five. Vecna's entire thing that he was saying is that I'm taking the powers of all the other children, it makes me stronger, and then I'm going to do that to the new ones I'm doing to open these holes. If L is doing that and she's going to revive Max. It should have ended with Max's eyes opening and her levitating shit in the hospital room. Because what Elle Ooh. did is the reverse of Vecna, which is pass some of her power onto Max to yeah. bring her back. There you go. That's the only reason to do it, because otherwise you're just like, okay, so there really is no stakes here. I think, again, Jess is right. Eddie was great. We really loved Eddie, but we knew he was going to die. I thought they were setting up Steve to die, and yeah. that would have been something. Like, if the curveball was Max dies instead of Steve, great. 
But Steve's character arc was like, oh yeah, he's definitely gonna die, huh? And then like, instead, it's just like, yes. oh no, they just do nothing. And it was like, so cool. frustrating. Again, yeah. one of the other storylines I I do have to harp on that I absolutely could not stand was the Nancy and Steve will they won't they? Wow! Yeah. And this this about such... Nancy Jonathan hater, I thought you would have loved this. You would have eaten it up. Well, because they should have. <laughs> the thing is, is I loved when I found out Nancy and Jonathan were on the rocks. I was like, hell yes throw a party because i don't like them together i just think they 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 don't i don't they don't work jonathan has never worked for me as a character i will say i loved the scene with him and his brother like that was very nice but on a relationship level never has worked for me but it was so stupid when they spent so much of the season dedicated they i i really just think there were certain characters that were so underutilized this season and again we had so much time. You cannot complain about not having enough time. We had plenty of time to service <laughs> these characters. And yet we have people who like Steve were just shoving back in the will they won't they with Nancy. Again, we all expect him to die, but the writers love Steve. They love that the fans love Steve. Again, like Josh has talked about the show being a little bit too cute with the fan service before. And I can kind of see that this season where they're like, there's no way we're going to kill Steve because we all know you love him so much. And so they were setting up like he's going to die and then they don't kill him and normally they don't kill him but they don't even have him and nancy get back together nancy and jonathan end up back together why who knows who cares they're not a great couple i think i know why but like i don't like it and i think they're 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 trying they're pulling my old friend george lucas see it rhymes it's uh it, it's you know like it's a circle it rhymes because what they're trying to do is what happened at the end of season one where very clearly at the end of season one they were setting up the idea that nancy and johnson should be together but yeah. steve she stayed with and it was inevitable that they were going to break up and she was going to get with she's going to get that with even next season exactly because they're Ugh. ending in the same place right like her and jonathan should not be together she should be with steve they're trying to do a like it rhymes thing like lucas and it just doesn't work uh which speaking of by none of the relationships in this show work like first off uh mike is a bad boyfriend Mike is a sucky boyfriend. Um, Mike is terrible. So Mike should not be Mike should not be with Elle for multiple reasons. Uh, Will, poor Will, can do so much better than Mike. The fact that they also don't yeah. confirm Will is a whole other issue that we could talk about if we want. Well, oh no, we're we're going to. We'll that is a, that is a subject. Don't and worry. Elle should be with no one. Elle should go to therapy. <laughs> so he's a strong. Uh, she's literally the strongest and powerful woman on the world. In the world, also she, has you don't these, need no man, Elle. But she also You're has fine. These, like she has arrested development. She has such like she's still eleven, literally eight years old in a lot of what she does. <laughs> yeah. And I feel like that's another issue with it. Jonathan and Nancy don't work. The only relationship that I was really, really liking was Lucas and Max. Oh, I thought thank that God was you said so that. I strong. thought we were gonna have to fight. So no, hard. I love Lucas and Max. I'm going to mend that, though. I'm going to push back and say that season three, Lucas and Max did not work. And season four this very one much does. did. Yeah. yeah. I think season four yeah. is where it's at. And I think it worked really, really well. And talk about, like, imagine if she died. Like, holy crap. Like, that would have yes. been so, like, yeah. I, it's in just, his arms. Literally right? in his arms. And because he got sidetracked with a uh, stupid jerk face, what's his face that Jason. dies again that we Jason. wanted to die. Yeah. Two characters died two cares we wanted to die like although how he died was great i was like oh, oh. Yeah. i was like my old like oh no he died yeah like, no yeah. one one of the things that Stewart said uh in our feedback was like i don't know why D jason's the character i dislike the most even more than vecna it might be that thing of like he represents what especially nowadays is just like so 
prevalent, mm-hmm. right? That like it feels incredibly cathartic to have him ripped Dude, in half, like it's a, a malfunctioning favorite, magic trick. One of my favorite subtle things this season did is that they dressed him in a white polo and khakis. Like, are you kidding? Like, it's not like he's a proud boy. Like, it's very clearly like when he was wearing that, I was like, oh, nice. I like that they did this. You know, I thought that was very, very funny. So on that note of the love triangle, I want to talk to one of the experts, uh, self-appointed, apparently, Jesse Camacho, who certainly has some thoughts on Lost Down the Hatch. He's a big skate fan, uh, totally skate over Jate. And in this case, he's <laughs> team Stancy over Jancy. So he's on your side, Jesse. Jancy. <laughs> yeah, it's like the off-off brand jeans that, only, that Jonathan can afford because he's so poor at the mall. Uh, this is what Jesse has to say. I'm a sucker for a love triangle, even though it's the most tired trope in the book. But the problem with me is I always root for the underdog and I'm always bummed and on the losing side. So, of course, I'm Team Steve. Uh, I did think it was reductive to go back to this triangle as Jonathan barely has anything resembling a storyline anymore. So potentially taking Nancy away seems super cruel, but I am Team Steve. It's a drag, too, because I think Charlie Keaton is an exceptional actor that has been criminally underused since midway through season two. And I have to imagine he resents the Steve character for taking a big chunk of the teenage male lead storylines. I also do think the return of the love triangle is definitely a response to Joe Keery's charm and talent. They've basically made Steve the action hero of the teens, and they're probably testing the waters to have him get the girl as well. But I think the fan response has been about 60% against Steve and Nancy and pro-Jonathan Nancy, which makes me think either Steve will die at the end or Nancy will say something like, Steve, that dream is beautiful, dot, 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 but I'm not that girl for you. I believe Jesse wrote this, I think, between volume one and volume two, but I still think it it does stick. I mean, to that point, Jess, I don't know if we're expecting an absolute slaughter fest to happen in season five with, with no more runway, but... Could you still expect an expiration date in the cards for Steve Harrington? Or do you think it's going to be him and Nancy happily ever after? No, I could. I think what I thought. So what I thought was going to happen in season four, I think might happen in season five, where we get Steve sacrificing himself for Nancy. I thought that's what was going to happen in season four. If they were going to kill Steve was that he was going to sacrifice himself. Nancy, you go on without me. You know, Eddie, Eddie like death. Right. Um, I could still see that happening for season five. Um, I just don't, I just, okay. I love the nineties, right? I podcast a lot about there 90s you go. content. They teach you a lot. But the thing is like, it is the oldest, like most overused trope of the love triangle. Like the will they, won't they I'm over it. Get them together or don't and be done with it. We don't need so many seasons of this and not for nothing. Nancy could just be by herself. I it the thing that always annoys me is it's always just like, oh, the woman has to choose which man she'll go with. No, she could choose to be alone. If you can't choose, that means you should be alone. I like, choose that's, me. That's what I'm saying. It's it gets really frustrating, and I think it clogs up the works, like Jesse said, in terms of like it eats up your screen time, both for Jonathan and for Steve and for Nancy. Like we could have imagined the other conversations we could have seen with Jonathan and Will. Like we could have had much more of that version of Jonathan on the screen. And I would have loved that. We could have had more of Steve being mother hen or hanging with Robin, Steve and Robin, one of the best pairs on screen. It just gets so sidetracked with this dumb, like teenage romance crap that like, 
I know maybe I, I don't know, Kevin, am I wrong? Like, is this like a casual viewer thing? They love the the triangle stuff. Oh, oh yeah. I mean, your average viewer, <laughs> unfortunately, like love like dra dramatic love triangles and like yeah. relationship drama is what pulls them in. Like the Joe, like you know, Joe and Nancy public. I don't know what to call them. Joe Q public and Nancy Q public. Um, like it's it's a big draw because they love that sort of like relationship drama triangles especially it's it's this element of romance right that just people get into it's why romance novels can do so well with these things it's why we see it mm -hmm. in like lost and the x-men and everything uh and so much of ya is something i podcast about mm -hmm. ya um yeah. and it's it's a trope i don't like them because i i usually find them very poorly written i think you can do well like you can do a, a love triangle well it's just it's rarely ever done um, and I think this is a good example of, of a problematic one because the choice, in my opinion here, is pretty obvious. If your options are the guy who's like not telling you about the college, who's been avoiding you the entire time, who's also like a major stoner right now and not dealing with his own stuff, or this charming one who, you know, you are actually familiar with, but because you are familiar with him and how he used to be, you can literally see how he has grown as a person over the years. And, oh, look, he's so good with these kids. Who should she choose? It's it's bonkers. It doesn't make any sense. And, like, you're going to write that as your love triangle. It's not going to go over, like, particularly great. I can understand people, like, maybe there's some people who are like, oh, not Nan not Nancy and Steve. I'm curious about the reasons. I think they can work if they're written well. And this is probably the most like well they've been written in terms of this relationship. Oh, yeah. I like the idea because it is a reality that someone can change and grow. And where you were as a relationship years previously, and if you split up and grow as people, doesn't mean that you can't get back together because you have changed. And because that change happened, you can have another relationship. That's reality. Uh, so like if they were to do that, I think it's great. Um, but like the Jonathan stuff, I'm with chess, man. Like the most interesting Jonathan became is when he's talking to his brother about what is clearly a like really important subject mm -hmm. and like telling him like, you can talk to me and I will still love you. Like, holy shit. Why is that not the story we're getting with these two characters? Why is the story will pining over Mike most of the time who doesn't deserve his attention at the <laughs> end of the day? Uh, and then, yeah, and then Mike is, you know, just uh, Neo and, and, and Trinity-ing um, <laughs> in, his, in his major scenes. Discover why critics are calling Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes the best film of the franchise. What a wonderful day! It's a jaw-dropping spectacle that demands to be seen on the biggest screen possible. I need to go. Hang on. It is our time. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Now playing only in theaters. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. All right. Well, let's get into a couple more things. Because, again, I definitely want to get back to the Will stuff. Let's shift to talking about the ending of Season 4. Because it's a big one. 
right? Again, this is their Empire Strikes Back ending. The Duffers have said as much, where even though they, like, temporarily stave away Vecna, he's far from dead. And what's more so, they got the fourth, albeit temporarily. The gates have opened. The Upside Down is coming to mm -hmm. Hawkins. Before we get to any feedback, Jess, what were your thoughts about the way that we left things in season four? I thought visually, emotionally, uh, very satisfying. I love the idea that, like, the heroes don't always win. You know, sometimes something is more powerful than they are. And they get knocked on their asses. And their whole town just, like, splits apart. It was amazing. I'm really, I love where they left things off. I think it's such a powerful ending. The the wilting of the flowers, you know, like visually stunning. Um, Again, uh, character deaths aside, I just feel like they have so much left to explore with this group. They left themselves in a really great position for season five. Um, I just love the idea of like the, what was it? Like the bell, right? The, or the, the clock is yes. like going off like the four times. Um, just a really, really great ending, I thought. I, I loved it. I, I I can't say enough about how visually stunning it is and how amazing it is to watch just, like, an entire city building split in half with just these, like, cracks of fire. It, it's amazing. It's everything you'd want in, like, an actual game of D&D, &D, but you're seeing it on your screen. It's awesome. Yeah, what'd you think, Kevin? Yeah, I mean, I, I agree, right, with the caveats as, as stated, right? Like, character that's aside, how they got there, sure. Um, again, I guess Max is the Han Solo, if we're going with the Empire uh, analogy here, <laughs> frozen in carbonite coma. Um, but uh, the actual ending, the visual, the, the, the stakes of where they are, I think is really, really awesome. I do feel like it's such a game changer in a way the previous two seasons weren't. Um, and it really sets a tone of going into that final season. I think that's really cool. I, I loved how we got there. I love the moments we got at the end. Um, uh, honestly, I could have used more, and I'm hoping we get more of Robin and Vicky in season uh, five, because mm. I love that entire thing. Um, you know, justice for Robin's relationships. Um, and uh, I love that scene with Dustin and uh, Eddie's uncle, I thought was very touching and very moving. As much as I was saying, like, I, I, I want to be clear, too. I thought Eddie's character was great. I thought his character arc was amazing. We knew he was going to die because, like, sure. But I think it made, they, they, they made sense for how that character ended up there because of the dialogue about running from even from the first episode where he talks yeah. about sometimes you should run. And at the end, he does it, right? Like, no, sometimes you stay and fight. Or sometimes you bike away and you're right. running to essentially fight. I mean, metaphorically. The, <laughs> the Duffers have said something really interesting, though, in interviews about how they felt like ever since Chrissy dies in Eddie's trailer at the end of episode one, like, he is doomed, right? And we've talked, and Josh and I talked about this a lot through the process, and especially why I kept seeing that Eddie was going to die, not just because beloved new character on Stranger Things gets killed off. It was more so like, if he survives, he's going to be like a wanted murderer. He's going to jail. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. Sure. Yeah. So the there was not going to be a happy ending for this character. And they do like their happy endings. Like, I wouldn't necessarily count the ending of season four a happy ending, but it's like a relatively okay stopping point. Like, they could stop and take a breather for a right. second before they jump back into the unknown. And so, yeah, it's, it's tragic, though. And it is honestly like maybe a bit of a larger commentary about some of these kids from the wrong side of the tracks those who just like by happen circumstance wind up in in situations where they're damned if they do and damned if they don't and that's why eddie as a character is also awesome it's like this he was essentially defending 
a world that has cast him out in so many ways, even before the Chrissy stuff, right? He was regarded as a freak. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, he had his small group, but like nobody really gave him the time of day. He lived in this podunk trailer. You know, his dad, clearly he had issues with him, but he still chose at the end of the day to save them all from this. And he, and he went out still being considered like this yeah. terrible person. Well, Mike, throw it to our other podcast here about the boys, right? Like, there's that line in in the final episode about like um, saving people who don't want to be saved, and it's like that's who needs saving the most. Like yeah. th- that's like Eddie's heroic sacrifice here is for a town that hates him, but he is doing it to save his friends and the people of this town. And like you don't get more super, super heroic than that, you know. Um, that's like the X Men's entire mo. It's fighting <laughs> to to save a world that fears and hates them. Uh, so I, I think his, his death is really, really powerful and great and thematic and his character arc is a plus. It's just that you should have also killed someone else, you know? Yeah. Um, but like where they ended this season, I think was really solid. Um, and feels so big, like just, you're right. Like, right. Seeing the town literally split apart and then seeing like the smoke rise and basically form the mind flayer, I think was really cool at the end as well. Um, so like I thought the visuals were really awesome there and I think where they they, they land in terms of like a setup is great um, mm-hmm. and as a whole again I did really like this season it's just I think they they fumbled the ending a little bit <laughs> well here's a couple of logistical questions from Andrew Yu that I find very interesting and I think will be addressed next season though we do have this apparent time jump that is happening, which again, I don't know about that. God, oh my God, are you kidding? They're gonna be like the actually twenty-five-year-old men playing fourteen. They need to. Jump no, time. I know, but it's more like, how are you gonna leave the state of things like this and jump forward? That's yeah. it's more that that's confusing and weird. Well, so Andrew, you asks, are the gates dormant? Did Eleven saving Max stop it to some extent since the fourth person mm. didn't die? But we did see the particles at the end, so I guess not. So w- what do you think, Jess? Like, it seemed like two days had passed and, like, nothing else had come out of the Upside Down. But, like, do you think things are okay on the Western Front? The way I view Vecna is kind of, like, I, again, looking through the lens of D&D, I think, makes sense. Where he's injured, right? Like, that he, it took a lot out of him. He was, Molotov cocktails were thrown at him. Nancy used a sawed-off shotgun. Most I've ever liked Nancy, ever, in my entire life, is when she's hurting things. It's so fast. It's amazing. <laughs> she is the best when she is, like, shooting a gun. That's going to be the spinoff, where Nancy becomes, like, Rambo, hurting yeah. things, coming to Netflix in 2026. Her shooting off, a sh- like, a sawed-off shotgun, amazing. Um, So he's injured. He didn't go unharmed in that entire encounter. And so the way I viewed it is he has to recoup. He has to go back and hibernate and pick back his strength up. And so I could see him taking his time. He's very deliberate, right? Like he doesn't just, um, I'm trying to think like he doesn't escalate as much. He, he takes his time and he's slow moving and slow acting. And so I could see the time jump working in that regard. Um, it's just like, what the heck are they going to do with this whole town? That's now split up. (laughs) It's like literal cracks in the earth. I would love it if they're like the Scooby gang and Buffy, right? And after the time jump, like when we pick back up with them, there may be a level of like, it's semi-dormant because Max has been brought back to life. And that's sort of like, if they do a time jump of like three years and they're seniors now, which is probably the most logical thing to do. um, 
have it be that Max is unfortunately fit in this coma, but they've been essentially Buffy Scooby ganging. And whenever like something starts to creep out of the upside down, they've been like going around eliminating or whatever, right? They're patrolling nightly. And then if Max does die, that's what like sets stuff in motion where she's been in a coma for multiple years. But then if she passes, like, there you go, the gates are like fully open and uh, things go amok. Um, but like that could be interesting to just that's next, right? They just have to be Buffy now and go yeah. around and like kill these things as they come out. And every generation, there's like 12 or 13 that she'll <laughs> rise up and work together of all ages. Uh, well, to your point, Kevin, Caitlin wrote in something interesting. She said, I can't imagine they're going to have Max in a three year coma. She lives in a trailer, she probably doesn't have health insurance. Won't she be blind if she wakes up? If they are time jumping, I think they would open with her either having already died or they're reading her letters or she's already awake. I think the letters will still come back. Maybe if she does wake up possessed by Vecna, they will read the letters to her to snap her out of it, a la Billy in season three. And she brings up a great point and several others did as well that we do have this sort of like hanging thread of when Max thought she was going to die before she yeah. willingly offered herself up as a pod. Uh, she did write these letters to everybody. What do you think, Kevin? What do you think the chances are that these letters end up becoming a key crux of whatever Max plot is going to ensue in season five? I mean, it could be possible. The end of the season had Eleven trying to essentially look into her mind and finding nothing. Um, so, you know, the implications there are sort of bleak and dark. Um, I, yeah, I mean, I feel like the letters might come into play, but if they do a three-year time jump, that's gonna be wild. I also just can't like that. <laughs> there's just so much there to unpack of the idea too. If she does wake up three years later and it's just like, what happened? How did I survive? What did you do? Uh, which is why, again, like the I just the ending place for Max is very, very, very weird. Um, and I'm wondering now, actually, is if oof, and this is this would suck, is if she was meant to die and kickstart the season five and because of the time drop necessity because they got older they had to keep her alive somehow to put her into a coma until the until they can do it right because like it, it, it if they filmed this back to back if they did this season and five back to back they could just continue and it's just max dies the gates open and then season five is them all dealing with this immediately but the fact that they have to wait at least a year just to start filming meaning those means those kids are going to age even more. So they're just like, we have to time jump. And the only solution then is to delay the gates fully opening by having Max get revivified briefly, which, oof. Yeah, well, I, the Duffers have said that I believe they're taking the month of July off and writing for Stranger Things Season 5 officially starts in August. So yeah, it's going to be a hot second. I did see several fan-made graphics have said like, 2024 that's what i've thrown out there there's been no official announcement from netflix but to your point kevin about the schedule i think that we'd have to rely on that uh because i know that they broke it up into two different segments this time it could do it again but i don't know if like the duffers would want to do that especially for their final season it seems like they also partially had to do that because of vfx of like they were really under the wire with getting all the effects mm. in in time so they're like all right we better save our big budget finale give us an extra month pad out that that budget and that calendar to do so and well, if you also want to be conspiracy theory there's other reasons <laughs> yeah well yeah, there's some other stuff as well in terms of uh when billing cycles might come into play Correct. as well uh <laughs> wanting to get a little bit more bang for your buck so we talked about the love triangles of it all, but let's talk about a different type of love. 
let's talk about Will. Because there was a Will. There was not a way this season that he was going to find true happiness. I want to read a couple of things here. Uh, because Josh and I came onto the podcast, and we very much espoused the same things of, like, Noah Schnapp is killing it in the scenes that he's in. Like, love the scene of him in the car. Even though that has become, I think, the most memed thing of the last two episodes, right? Yeah. Is the sound of him with, like, in his his hand in his uh, his mouth trying to stifle sobs. I also love how it dunks on Mike, though, at the same time. Yeah, I, my, I think Mike not noticing. Yeah, I think my favorite, my favorite one that I saw was the infamous meme of the two people on the bus and, like, one yes. is sad and one is happy, and that's Will and Mike, essentially, yeah. in the backseat of the car, uh, which is just so apropos. But we pretty much said, like, the the scenes are great. I don't think it's our position to say whether or not it was enough. This is what a couple of people have to say from that perspective. Uh, Caitlin says, and this was in between volume one and two, I know they're going to have Will be in love with Mike, but I really hope not. I personally feel it's problematic to show that a straight and gay man can't have a platonic friendship. It feeds into so many stereotypes and the toxic masculinity that straight people think their gay friends are in love with them. Any emotion has to be followed with no homo. And she gives a good example of like Regina George and Katie ditching Janice because, oh, she must have uh, a crush on them. Uh, and she's worried that this plot line would ostracize Will knowing Mike is straight after Robin's line of ask out the wrong girl and I'm the town pariah. I know not everyone would see it this way and just think it's cute or cringe or think that the best relationships start as friendships. But I don't love this plot. I haven't heard anyone else voice this concern. Let's go to Zicario. So Zicario is someone who has been lighting up the Post Show Recaps patron discord like he's running his fingers through some dust in the upside down, making those lights pop on and off uh, about all of his thoughts on seasons past. He's doing a rewatch now from like the Vecna mindset of, okay, if Vecna is now controlling the upside down, how do things play? He had a lot to say, but... Pretty much in this capacity, we're going to focus on the will buyers of it all. Uh, strap in, put on your seatbelts. A little bit of a longer one here, but a really great one at that. This is what Zicario has to say. Will Byers is the most miserable, hangdog character in Stranger Things, and it's not close. He is hardly ever happy. He never gets what he wants. And unlike the rest of the characters, he gets almost no triumphant or happy moments to make up for this. Will also happens to be the only male character who is implied to be gay. And we'll get to the freaking implications, just you wait. The fact that they are treating their only gay male character like nothing more than a little rubber toy that you can squeeze to make him cry sucks. It sucks really bad. It's not just that they treat him like crap. It's that they give him so little to do. Think of his plotline as an actual line, like on a heart monitor, perhaps uh, on Max in the hospital. Other characters have highs and lows, peaks and valleys. Will's, on the other hand... Just seems to be one long valley. Will's line looks like he is barely alive. Is it realistic for him to be this miserable given the time frame? I don't know. Maybe. Is it realistic for him to fight monsters from another dimension? And heck, maybe all this misery will lead somewhere in season five. Maybe it's all part of the plan. But boy, does it feel crappy and send a crappy message in the meantime. To have a gay character whose pain and heartache are used almost exclusively to further a straight ship without giving any sort of resolution in return plays into a long tradition where queer characters are just used as props and accessories for the real main characters, the straights. The fact that Mike is so needy, emotionally stunted, and dense that he needs his best friend to break his own heart in half and lie to him in order to convince him to tell his girlfriend he loves her, well, that doesn't make me feel great about Will, Mike, 
or Mike and Eleven as a couple. This July, quite a few of us are feeling like poor corn-stabbed Steve. After three seasons of hints, allusions, symbolism, and quote, up to your interpretations, the Duffers promised us that this time would be different, that they would address or resolve the issue of Will's sexuality. They promised this multiple times in interviews and on Twitter. They did all of this during Pride Month too, by the way. And then Volume 2 rolls in, and it wasn't different at all, was it? The hints were slightly larger, the illusions less ambiguous, the symbolism more obvious, but at the end of the day, it's still, quote, up to your interpretation. Which, if you want to see why that's not good enough for many of us, just look at the Facebook comments. And he proceeded to post a bunch of screenshots in the Discord of people who maybe did not necessarily get the, the nuance there. Nothing was addressed, nothing was resolved, and Will largely ended the season in the exact same place he started, having moved geographically, but not as a character. To put another way, queer men are somehow still in the position of debating with people whether or not we even, quote, exist in the alternate 1980s envisioned by the Duffer Brothers. It is apparently up to everyone's interpretation. I just cannot abide how they have handled this. The Duffers have an incredible character in Will. They have a tremendously talented young actor in Noah Schnapp. They have an incredible opportunity to make a statement, to make a positive example for people to look to, to give queer kids some amazing representation in one of the most popular shows in the entire world at a time when it can feel like the walls are closing in on them. And they just keep wasting it. The story isn't over yet, but my faith is shaken. It's shaken so badly that depending on how I'm feeling when it releases, I might not watch season 5. At least not right away. I might just wait for specific spoilers to come out. I might wait for other people to tell me how Will is treated. If they finally do something with him, great. But if not... I don't think I can stomach watching another season of Wasted Opportunities. So, a long one, but a good one from Zacario and Caitlin as well, uh, giving, giving you know, I think some incredibly valuable opinions from their perspectives about what happened with Will here. Jess, is there anything you want to add or, or bounce off of there? Yeah, I mean, I would say I'm I'm with Zacario on on his opinions on will and specifically, I think he covered it in terms of like the queer territory definitely agree in terms of representation and the fact that we could have seen so much more. Oh yeah. I do want to hit on the fact that like Noah Schnapp is absolutely fantastic. And every single season, he is one of the characters that I was referencing when I said that they really just didn't spread the wealth in terms of screen time. He has been given so little across all four seasons, like the littlest amount of screen time. He is a member of this group. And not only that, a really great one, a one who has firsthand experience in the upside down, who was affected so much by the upside down, who gets that spidey sense when he can sense things are near, when things are dangerous. There is so much value to be added by him as a character and the actor himself, who we've seen when he is given very little to work with, he lights up the screen. And so it's really, really annoying that other characters are getting so much and he seemingly is constantly just getting the shaft in terms of no screen time, no air time, no content. What content he's given is again, like Zacario pointed out, like he doesn't get fun moments. He he's the one who's, oh guys, can't we just play D D again? Like they give him such crap. And it really like makes me hate the character of Mike even more than I already did. I didn't care. I've never really cared for Mike. He gives, he very much gives off that like first person character uh, itis where it's like, oh, he's the main character, but he's so boring and bland that we don't care about him because all the other characters around him are so much more exciting. I just wish that they would 
give Will more content, whether it's about his sexuality, the scene with him and his brother, give me Mm. more of that type of stuff with other characters. I want to see him and Eleven's relationship more. Like we barely got, we barely scratched the surface on them going to school together. I just think there's so much there to explore with Will that it's, it's, really ridiculous at this point that we haven't learned more about him as a character his sexuality included because that is something that like again we have robin but they need to do more with will they really need to address it and be explicit about it and give us more content and i i I totally agree i think it was caitlin who said like the him being in love with his best friend it's also an overdone trope that we didn't need uh it, it could have been something different um or they could have handled it differently or ended it differently there's so many other ways they could have handled this better than they did kevin any thoughts to add on that uh me having thoughts no um <laughs> uh no i there's there's so much i agree with here on it um one uh to address like the easiest thing right like there's definitely that perspective and i i can agree with about like the trope of of um uh will and mike right and there is a toxic masculinity part of it and i feel like the 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 solve for that is how one just having had the conversation happen and having mike act like a effing human being if it were to happen right like that's the solve to have mike not be a toxic male um i think the idea though just on a grand scheme of like in love with your friend that's reality right like i for me i can only speak from my perspective obviously one of my biggest hang-ups of um of any type of indian representation to ever happen was just like they don't treat us like we're real people half the time we're treated as like we're indian people and we don't get just the storylines that happen to everyone else and how always has to focus on also me being indian and i think there is a part of that should play into it miss marvel's handling a lot of that very well um mm. but like that's the thing like crazy rich asians is a great example where their asian heritage played into it but there was just a love romance story that really didn't you know what i mean like it, it, they were just allowed to be characters and play towards real things that happen to people. So like the idea of being in, in love with your best friend, I think is just a real thing that does happen to people. And like that story can be told and the danger, of course, I think it, you, you, is correct in the trope of the toxic masculine fear. And I think that's where as storytellers, it, it it's important to like show the right way of doing that. Um, like if you play into the stereotypes and you play into a terrible reaction or a toxic, you know, reaction that's bad. If you play, if if you play the way that you should react and, and the joy of it, a great example is Shit's Creek, right? Like everyone in that mm. town, it doesn't matter about their sexuality. They treat them like people and that's how it should be. Show the characters acting how humans should act. Again, the boys, right? Like they are very clear about who the bad people are and there you go. It's not ambiguous. They're bad and they're saying things that the bad guys in real life say. So I think that that there's a lot there that can be done. Um, but my biggest issue goes back to not even the show, because if the show is dancing around confirmation right now, that's semi-okay, because it's it's his own internal struggle. It's hard for him to say it. It's in love with his best friend. He can't talk to his brother. Cool. I agree there should be more with his brother, because that's the storyline you can explore more. But the fear of, of, of admitting it can be real. The problem is that when you exit the show and in real life, the interviews refuse to actually say it, that's an effing problem. Mm. Because that to me is just trying to keep things ambiguous so, so you don't upset a certain viewer base. Because as I've said, and as I think many people <laughs> who are on these podcasts on PSR also say, uh, looking at old friend Brooklyn said, 
There's no such thing as progress under capitalism. You cannot do it. It's effing impossible because if you're trying to make the most money, it means you have to appease the most people, which means you can't actually have characters admit their sexuality or say it in interviews. And that's not progress. And so, like, this is the biggest issue with the show. I mean, listen, I, I'm sure Noah was, like, towing the line that he had to tow. But that quote he has that people shared sucks about, I think it's beautiful that it's left up for interpretation. No, it's not. It's terrible and it kind of sucks. Like, you should say it. Everyone who worked on this show should just say it so that we can admit to it and understand it. And don't leave it as a reveal to come later. Like, why should this be a reveal? Like, if this is a story you want to tell about the emotional struggle he's going through, that's fine. You can't sit there and then not say anything about it and pretend that it's semi-representation. That's bullshit. You don't get your cookie for that. Absolutely not. Um, so that's my major issue because especially it's something we're seeing constantly. We're seeing Disney constantly talk about like how mm -hmm. this is the one you're going to get it. And it's like, <laughs> nope. Uh, and it happens all the time and it continues to do so. Uh, so yeah, that's to me, that's like the biggest frustration with a lot of this. I think there's a lot in there that works in terms of the emotional storytelling in terms of like the struggle he could be going through, but the fact that they've refused to acknowledge it in the real world is problematic. I completely agree with that. I have hope and I, I certainly can resonate a lot with like Zaccario's final paragraph, right? About him feeling like, listen, I might even just sit on the final season until I hear if they landed the plane with Will from what the Duffers have been saying, Will, to a point you made earlier, Jess, is going to be a pretty big part of season five. Uh, they're really focusing on similar to season six of Lost, right? Like finishing where we started. They've said that everything's going to yeah. be focused back in Hawkins. Like it's going to be involving everyone coming back together. They're going to actually going to uh, they're going to revise and reprise a bit of like those initial dynamics and groupings that we have seen in those early seasons. Obviously, with some additional cast members which is certainly well and good. And considering that the series started with the disappearance of Will Byers, here's hoping that he has a much larger role to play. I would imagine so, considering like he is the conduit via Vecna at this point. Right. I think Vecna is probably aware of that. He's probably going to exploit that. Uh, well, I actually have a point to get to later on in our feedback about Will's possible role as well. But I hope that also comes hand in hand with this thing. Because I totally agree with you, Kevin. It's one thing to make it in the fictional universe because you could certainly make an argument of like, well, at the time, it was not necessarily something that was considered that mainstream. But then to be like, oh, yeah, we don't know. You know, take it how you want to. When, again, last season, they had a character come out as gay and Maya Hawk was very upfront of being like, nope, she's a lesbian. You've already crossed that bridge, right? The toothpaste mm -hmm. is out of the tube. Don't try to s take a handful of crest and try to squeeze it back into that tube. It's not going to happen. Which is also playing towards, I think, other like tropes and stereotypes and stuff about so it's like, well, it's okay if a girl is gay, if a guy, it's just like, what are you doing? There's just so much there of like, and again, the idea of like, if they're keeping it a secret because you'll find out as a reveal what the hell? Like, a person's sexuality isn't a plot point. Like, it, like a plot reveal. It's not a plot twist. Like, that's insane. Like, it, it, just say it out loud. It'll be great. Just be like, oh, no, for sure. He's definitely gay. And this is a story we want to explore in terms of, like, how he's dealing with that, mm -hmm. especially being attracted to someone who is his best friend because of the trauma that could be to say something like that. And then, again, write that story properly. And there's ways that you could do it. Um, it's just 
bonkers that they're not. Now, that all said, Mike, saying that that this is going to be lost season six is really making me not look forward to it. <laughs> exactly. I just don't want to mention I can only say lost season five, and that's the thing that'll make Kevin's ears perk exactly. up. And we're doing a form of time travel in a manner of speaking. Yeah, time travel? <laughs> it's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions. Supply. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Well, let's get into some thoughts about the upcoming season five, whenever it may happen. Because we've got quite a bit of feedback about what might be on the horizon besides smoke and wilting flowers. Let's stay on the Will train, though. Sherry wrote in, my prediction for season five is that it won't be Eleven who brings Max back, but Will. The Moby song they played when she died is the same song they used in season one when Joyce and Hopper were bringing Will back. I felt like that was deliberate. The mind flare was in Will's body and he can still feel his presence. Vecna was in Max's mind and she said she could still feel him there too. I think zombie boy Will and zombie girl Max are going to find a way to reach each other. This would also put Noah and Sadie, two of the best actors on the show, in scenes together. They have barely interacted with each other over the last three seasons. I'd love to see these two paired up. What do you think, Jess? Would this be a good conduit to to use Will Byers for in season five? Yeah, I mean, anything that's going to get more Noah Schnapp on my screen, like, honestly, I'm here for. I'm a bit, I gotta say, I'm a bit nervous and a bit dubious as to, like, how they're bringing Max back, right? I imagine they're going to, you know, we might see another situation where Eleven goes into Max's brain or Vecna, you know, I I don't even know, want to think about Vecna using Max's body, uh, you know, puppeteering her, basically. Um, Master of puppeteering. It could happen. Um, I think that it makes sense because all I I did want to say, too, you know, we get this huge, amazing scene of of Noah saying to Mike, you're the heart. You're the, you're the heart of the group. That's why I drew you with the heart on your on your armor, on your shield or whatever. You are the heart of the group. I like totally disagree with him. And I think I think that Will is the heart of the group. He is the one who wants this group to stay together. He always has. When they were off, like, making out tonsil hockey with the girlfriends, he's like, let's play D&D, friends. Let's get together. <laughs> he is the heart of the group. And so for him to be the solution to, to healing Max, I think it's perfect. I think it makes a lot of sense. Um, I think, like, it, we it, could we see Eleven give willpowers somehow a la like a revivify type of situation possibly um i think he's so connected to the um to vecna and to the upside down that it it seems like he has to be integral to fixing everything in hawkins kevin caitlin wants to make a horror poll here 
So I'm going to throw this one to you. Wayne Munson tells Nancy the story about Victor Creel and compares him to Michael Myers. Then, when Max is running from Vecna in the cemetery, there's a headstone that says Myers. Then there's the mask referring to uh, the, the, the Michael Myers mask of Max's that Eddie wears when they go to the RV. Then Vecna quote-unquote dies exactly like Michael Myers and disappears. Halloween 5, The Revenge of Michael Myers, came out in 1989. Are we doing Season 5, The Revenge of Vecna, in 1989? Uh, here's the thing. If we're doing Halloween 5, oof, I don't know how thrilled I'm going to be about that interpretation. Uh, that I've noticed the Myers thing, too, and was like kind of surprised by that. And I'm wondering if it was, again, like try to be references because... You know, she was dressed as Michael Myers in season two during Halloween, and then she died, you know, would have died at the end of the season. Was it like foreshadowing or something? Um, I would hope, I mean, like, look, they, they did, the Halloween movies have ignored a lot of continuity, depending on which <laughs> version of reality the Halloween movies are in. I mean, they were, I just, what would the revenge be here, right? Like, the if, if Vecna is Michael, I'm just trying to think of like, how that works out. He'd have to be revealed as someone's brother, right? Because in the second one is also where he gets revealed as Laurie's brother. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I I'm, I feel like the next movie, if we're talking about where to draw the horror inspiration from, if this one had that nightmare vibe to it, and to an extent, like with Billy, that, that, that's sort of like the torturous brother thing um, of Michael Myers for her, uh, which I think is a parallel for her own life that's where that story can come into play. I feel like the next season has to be Hellraiser, right? Like, mm. I think that's where it kind of has to go. Like, this, it's literally the gates of hell have been opened, uh, and now they've got to figure a way to close the puzzle box. So my my pull for that would be, like, the next season drawing from Hellraiser, which would be really dark and adult for this show, but could be real interesting in terms of just visuals. <laughs> Yeah, to connect back to one of the first podcasts we did this season, Josh said he actually watched Hellraiser in anticipation for this, because I believe in addition to Nightmare on Elm Street, the Duffer said they took Pinhead as an inspiration, and he's like, yeah, that was uh Has Josh ever seen Hellraiser? I think he's watched it, but it, okay. it was the first time in a long time, and he's like, wow, okay, well, I did not remember that. If David Harbour continues with the hairless look and starts sticking some, some <laughs> needles in his head, then maybe... We feel like that's the direction that we're going in. The direction we're mainly going to be going in, though, from a cardinal perspective, is upside down. And that's one thing the Duffers have really hammered home in their interviews. This idea of, you don't know anything about the upside down. Season 5 is when we're going to introduce it. And they specifically call back to this moment in your beloved episode 7, Kevin, when they are looking through the old Wheeler house in the upside down, and they figure out that it is essentially like a snapshot of Hawkins taken on the day that Will disappeared. And it seems like, at least from this perspective, they're they're kind of, you know, Westworlding us a little bit, right, by being like, you don't know what it is yet, so, like, you can try to guess, but we'll reveal it in Season 5. Let's harbor some guesses here. Jess, do you have any thoughts as to, like... Harbor some guesses? Exactly, David Harbor, as to the, the mystery of the Upside Down. Did you have any, like, hard and fast theories about what it might be or specifically that entire time snapshot thing gosh we're talking about the like when when they get to the upside down and it's like time has stopped on the day will left right yeah exactly 
I feel like it has to be D and D related. Like it would, it would be weird if it wasn't right. Is it one of these other realms? Um, something like that. It could be, I don't know. I mean, whatever it is, it looks real dark and real spooky. Um, so I'm excited to see what they do with it, but I don't know if I have any like actual guesses as to what trying to think is there like a shadow realm right like there's like a shadow realm out there in D D. I don't know a ton about the realms though kevin what do you think uh hang on i just realized something i have to jump backwards uh caitlin who was just asking about the fifth halloween now i'm like wait because the fifth halloween is the one where uh uh jody the 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 daughter of laurie of uh, uh of uh, uh jamie lee curtis's character uh, is able in the fifth one to see through the eyes of Michael Myers. So she's able to oh. know like what he's doing. So oh. maybe that could work because if Max is in the coma and then wakes up and can see through Vecna's eyes, that could be a hell of a connection. And so she coupled with Will, who can that now cool. sense the monsters. That is actually, so now I'm like, oh, I, Ooh, I that'd see be amazing. here. So, so I just... <laughs> And Max comes out of her coma. She opens her eyes. They are like ice blue, a la Vecna. That'd be really interesting. Ooh, that would be so interesting. Sorry, it just yeah. occurred to me because I was like racking my brain. I was like, why the fifth one? And I was like, oh, wait, the fifth one is where this happens. Okay. Uh, that said, the fifth one's not good. I mean, <laughs> four, five, and six, not great. But anyway, um, yeah, I'm very, very curious about, I guess, the myth mythology of the upside down and where mm -hmm. they're going with it because i thought and this is where it gets a little confusing also in the last episode i like the conceit but was very much just like but wait um because we have uh number one henry vecna whatever we're gonna call him mm -hmm. talks about how he falls into this realm and it looks like it's like nothing yet right like it's yeah. just it's it there's there's these darknesses there's like the demogorgons going around like they, they're not like actually fully demogorgons that we know yet like they haven't evolved to that point and it feels like he was saying like he explored this world for a long time and then started to essentially give shape to it because it looked like he formed the mind flayer yes yes and so like yes to me i was like okay so then is it just that the uh, like this realm this world wasn't anything uh except like concentrated evil or something and he and because it. and he created it because he was able to give shape to it now that he was there as a true like sentient being from our world mm -hmm. he started to form the shapes of the upside down and start to form the world like why is the snapshot of 83 i'm i'm curious to know that i had thought yeah. like it was 83 because like that's when they uh well, not breached it for the time, but I guess re-breached it. He couldn't do anything uh, when he was locked away in the Upside Down. And so that was the first time that she had reopened exactly. the gate, essentially. And so I don't know if it was, like, for the memes or if it just so happened that, like, the nature just took a copy of it. Yeah. Perhaps maybe to study its enemy as well. Yeah. And so, like, those are the parts I'm, I'm very curious about. I really like the Vecna stuff a lot. Um it was tough because, like, part of me also thinks, like, he should have died, and then the Mind Flayer itself would be the main, like, big bad they have to fight, but we don't really know too much about it. So, like, he's, like, a person, I guess, who talks, so there's, like, something there. Um, but, yeah, it, it's it's a little tough to, like, figure out where they can go. That said, I mean, like, Vecna as a villain is awesome, and I uh, yeah. Jamie, Jamie Campbell Bauer is mm -hmm. real good. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, we're talking about, you know, OG Grindelwald and, uh, you know, uh, Kaya's from the Volturi in Twilight. So guy's got some villain background going for him. He's really hitting all your YA uh, really touch is. points here. He really is. 
And now, and now he's theoretically, you know, in a, a series with young adults That's as well. True. So like, yeah. he's down to time. Now he's terrorizing them. Yeah, I really loved him in his uh, in the flashbacks, and I'm I I kind of want him to like return to that form almost at one point, just to get that like kind of look back onto him but like how do you mix that with the with the vecna look i think could be interesting maybe that's how we get like the more pinheady look i mean listen i think you should be jamie campbell bowers like pr person to just put that forward <laughs> of like listen he's not gonna sit in the chair for five hours a day anymore right <laughs> god that had to have taken so long <laughs> yeah yeah just do you have any thoughts about vecna you mentioned him before but like overall thoughts about how he worked for you as a villain this season and assumingly moving forward yeah, an absolute outstanding villain. I think, um, like I am, I'm here for a terrible bad guy that is all evil, right? Like that. That's great. We love that. But I also love the villain, um, like a Magneto, right? Like this type of villain where we see how they got where they got. We see why they they went evil. And I, I love, uh, I loved the reveal. I know Kevin mentioned it a little earlier, but like, oh my gosh, that reveal was so good. I'm a mm -hmm. dumb dumb when I watch TV sometimes. And I'm just like, I want to watch it. I don't want to think like too, too hard for certain shows. It depends on what it is. But sometimes I don't want to think that hard. And so it just like, I was gobsmacked. I feel like he is such a successful villain because he he does what everyone is terrified of. He gets in your head and he gives you nightmares and he, he reads your anxieties and things that depress you and he puts them at the forefront of your mind which is truly horrifying and he knows his targets right he targets people like max who are grieving and in a, a vulnerable state um so he's he's a perfect villain to have on this show um i loved the reveal i loved the way they did it i love that he turned out to be a bigger bad than we originally thought he was and i do love that he they kept him alive um i would have I would have loved if they killed him. Like that would have been a great death, but I love that the idea of sometimes the heroes lose and they have to, you know, get back together, you know, batten down the hatches and go fight another day. And so to get to see him back in the next season, um, maybe even with renewed strength and, you know, more minions on his side. Um, I loved it. And I did also love the, the continuity of like the demodogs and the, and the demogorgons still in this season as well. Again, Russia didn't work for me, but you're telling me you're going to use one of those like fire guns. What are those even called? Flamethrowers? Flame torch. What is it called? Fire Flame guns. Flamethrower. <laughs> it shoots fire. It's one a, of those it throws fire guns. Flames. It throws flames. <laughs> That thing on the Demogorgon was so effing cool. That was really cool. So I'm excited for what kind of budget they're going to have next season and like seeing even more epic fights. It's going to be great. $300 million an episode. <laughs> I, I, I have to, yeah, back up Jess here on this. Cause like I, I talked about it earlier, but just to, like my favorite moment, what like I think they did such a good job of when he was introduced as the orderly, he seemed creepy. And your brain is probably just like, this guy's probably a bad guy. Yeah. And I think they purposely made him seem creepy at first. So you would think that. And then as they tell you, you're like, okay, no. Okay, he's not then, right? Like, they made him look very clearly sus. So you would think it and then have you reverse your decision so that you don't see it coming. I don't know about you and Josh, but like, for me, that's the spoiler I gave, unfortunately, to Robin because I thought it was so cool. The moment that they step outside and like they're like freeze, you know, and tell him to stop, I was just like, wait, because that was the second it occurred to me. And then when he just threw the guards, I was like, that's effing dope. Like, and the fact that yeah. he's one, I thought that was so cool. And this is where it all comes from. And he's the start. That is such a great twist. 
that part I sadly spoiled for Robin. What I didn't spoil, and I think is equally effective, is then the follow-up. And it's just like, yeah. oh, he's the kid, and he's Vecna, and this is like, that all ties together. And I thought that was an equally excellent reveal. Um, so like, that part alone, like I said, makes the season for me because it's so good. Yeah. And how it played out was so excellent. Caleb asks, speaking of timing and structure, because to your point, Kevin, that was such a fantastic way to end volume one. If we had to have a volume one, uh, the Duffers talked about how they obviously did not make season four with that structure in mind, but like they really lucked out and that they had this, some might say n unnatural act break considering it was seven and two split, but like still a nice intermission moment with, I agree, just a fantastic reveal followed by another fantastic reveal. Caleb asks, how would you like to see season five released? Since it is such a global phenomenon, would it benefit from being released one at a time in order to maximize the hype? What do you think, Kevin? You're someone who binged all of season one in a night, basically. For the final season of Stranger Things, what could they do and what should they do? Um, I Obviously, I think they could do a split. There's, there's a possibility. I hope they don't. I mean, there's again. I, I my my conspiracy theory for the reasons are what they are, and it means they might split it. But uh, they've I think they've already said that the episodes are shorter, so that's a yeah. plus. I don't think they should do weekly. This is a series that has been released as drops. It is their like quintessential. This is the drop series we do. I don't think they're going to change their mind at this point, right? Like you don't do that for the fifth season. Yes, you get the bigger, longer stretch and buzz, but I think they're going to get it anyway for Stranger Things. Um, so I think that they're still going to do like the, the full drop. Uh, and for me, I kind of prefer that for this. But I've, I was a big like, you know, for a long time, like just drop them all at once. But like as we've watched more stuff and as stuff has gone on, like The Boys is a great example of a show that I think works really well weekly. Um, and mm. I think it's all about like how you write and structure the show and like how you pace it out. Uh, the boys is written, and I think paced out to be like pretty weekly. So I think it works in its favor for that. I don't think stranger things is written to be like, as a like weekly drop, not every episode ends like the end of seven, the end of seven feels like a weekly show. Um, not every episode runs like that. It feels like it's just, okay. And then the story continues and the story continues and the story continues. And if that's the structure that it's going to go, then like just drop them, you know, at once so that we, Watch it in that way. Jess, what do you think? Ideal way that Stranger Things, the final season, should be released. Yeah. Um, I mostly agree with what Kevin is saying in terms of, I think the reason the reveal in episode seven is so effective is because we get all the episodes at once. Because if this is a weekly show, people have more time to speculate and more time to theorize and more time mm. to guess what the answer is, right? When you have a show like this that is relying on that thriller aspect and the like, it, there's there's not enough time. We only have, you know, two days to get this all done. It feels like you need to watch one episode after the other to keep that feeling, to keep that high energy up, um, as well as keep your secrets. Because if you have one out a week, it's so much time for people to speculate and guess what you have coming up. This does feel like a binge show. As annoying as it is for us on this side of the microphone when it comes to podcasting about shows that are released in a binge format, yeah, it's super annoying. It gets really difficult to schedule all the podcasts. That's an us problem, right? <laughs> like, I think the vast majority of viewers 
for this show specifically love the binge um i wouldn't mind if they split it up i i think i i didn't mind it this time because it wasn't a super long wait it didn't feel like forever i didn't forget everything that had happened right I'm a little bit more annoyed with shows like A Better Call Saul where it's it feels like a very long wait in between the two parts of the two seasons. Um, and I, I feel like especially for this show, if I, I know they said it wasn't planned, but I would hope that if they're going to split it up, let's pretend it's like eight episodes and they do like four and four, like it's an actual split down the middle. I just hope that the ending of episode four feels like a part one. It feels like the end of a first act. Yeah. Um, that's my only uh, like problem with splitting seasons like this is either the split is too the the, the the beginnings part one and two are too spread apart or and it doesn't feel like it's a natural break in the season so i mean i i'd prefer it if they dropped them all at once and if they were to have a split which they probably will that it's not too long of a wait and that it feels like a natural break in the season when they do it. And also just numbers, right? Like seven and two is so weird. Also, Very weird. the final episode did not have to be two and a half hours. There's also an obvious place they could have split it probably. Yeah. Like I, it, yeah. Th- that is super weird. And also uh, I love what you said, Jess, because it's it that is such a good point about the theorizing, right? Like the reveal works because it doesn't give enough people to like theorize and figure out like what's going to happen. And I think like that only works in the binge format. Because you can figure it out. Like, you yeah. could figure that out if you had enough time. And then talking to enough people, right? Like, yeah. that's that's how, I mean, like, look at uh, look at Battlestar Galactica and look where that led when people, because people figured out a certain big plot point and then they changed it. Um, on the other hand, going back to another reference you all made, if they do do it weekly, they could just do the Lost Season 6 and all your theorizing doesn't matter because none of it or does matters and they're not going to have answers because that's <laughs> not the point of the show. Whatever. <laughs> Kevin has to get his digs in. I am gonna get my digs in. Just... <laughs> this is when the spirit of Josh just flows into me yeah. like Vecna through Max, and my eyes just glow with his vigor. <laughs> Let's finish up with a couple of just like miscellaneous news items. Do you, you hear this thing about Noah Schnapp and Doja Cat? He is seventeen, Michael. <laughs> This is, I mean, listen, poor Noah Schnapp can't catch a break, whether it's his storylines and Stranger Things or the fact that now Doja Cat is having an Instagram live, like, calling him out on... So essentially what happened is, correct me if I'm wrong here, right, that, like, Doja Cat, who is a singer and rapper, asked Noah Schnapp to essentially, like, give her the hookup to Joseph Quinn, who plays Plays Eddie Eddie. Munson. Uh, And so... Like, she thought he was hot or something? Correct. Yeah. Okay. And so essentially he was like, he sort of posted on social media, like, wow, this is kind of wild. Like, is it, is this funny that she's, that she's asking me to, you know, hook up with this guy. And she was livid about it. That being said, he is 17. I can understand why her feelings are hurt, but obviously I do not think it deserved the retaliation, but just wild that, that less than a week after Stranger Things season oh four gosh. has ended, Noah Schnapp finds himself getting in like a bunch of random celebrity drama. Yeah, he's only 17. Cut the kid a break. Like he doesn't yeah. know what's going on. I will say though, so I, 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 was, I was reading a little bit about this as well when it happened, um, but I saw a really good I don't know, <laughs> analysis. <laughs> this, is, this is what I read analysis of the situation and this person points out i think something like valuable in that everyone's talking about doja cat's video but like in the actual video she's really not that like like she's not yelling she's not like cursing him out she's pretty like even keeled in her she's more just like i can't believe this happened this is so crazy like why would he post this it feels it 
her reaction is not as big as everyone has made it out to be. You know what I mean? It almost like her reaction mm. got mythologized, uh, which is funny because like talk about a Mandela effect, yeah, yeah. And, and so like it's really interesting. But like that said, I honestly think it's funny more than anything else, right? Like she reached out to him and was just like, "Yo, you must know him. Can you give me the hookup to 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 like slide into his DMs?" And then like when you go into someone's DMs the ideal situation is that they're not going to post it, right? But this is the internet. People post their DMs all the time, especially if it's kind of crazy and kind of wild. So, like, I I feel like both sides are... If we're doing the, like, am I the asshole, I'm mm. sort of on the uh, side of, like, no assholes here. Like, neither of them are assholes in this situation. <laughs> am I the Vecna? I mean, the other <laughs> thing about this, though, is I'm sure that actors spent time on set when they weren't in scenes, but, like, Will Byers and Eddie Munson never met each other. Like, of all the people to ask, yeah. give me the good hookup with Joseph Quid, why are you not going to Gaten Matarazzo? Why are you not going to Joe Curie or Natalia Dyer? Like, why are you going to... Hey, yeah, you probably, like, uh, brushed past him at craft services one day. You mind, like, getting me those digits? It, it was just a wild set of circumstances. Again, like, so extracurricular to Stranger Things. Uh, another loose item. Kevin, you made this statement right before we came out that I would love to dig into about how you were so matter-of-fact in how the finale episode was essentially like a D&D battle brought to life. Yeah, I definitely think it, it was that, but more so, like, all the characters at the end were giving vibes uh and like i was just convinced that this is on purpose because like yes even before it happened of uh david harbour picking up conan the barbarian sword the barbarian he picked up <gasps> a barbarian sword to fight the demigorgon i was like okay yeah barbarian and then you look at, like, uh, um, uh, Nancy. I was going to say Natalia. So I started calling everyone by their real names. You look at uh, Nancy with the shotgun, and I'm just like, okay, Barbarian, Ranger. You have um, uh, Robin throwing the fire. And I was like, okay, I, she's giving me, like, Druid vibes, especially with, like, all the other stuff. Like, And then you have, like, Will giving Bardic inspiration to Mike. Like, every part of it felt like these are D&D classes. Mm -hmm. Like, they are classed up. And, like... I don't know if Steve is the fighter or Lucas is the fighter, but it all felt like each of them had a, a clear class role that they were playing. And considering that started the season with a D&D &D fight against Vecna, it felt like this was a parallel to have that moment. Although if uh, Eddie's up there playing the guitar, maybe he is more bard. I mean, you can have multiple classes. There's, there's, there's yeah. many characters here, so... <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Listen, if the if the podcast that Jess and I have done this past week are any indication, like <laughs> there isn't one role for each person to fill. Yeah. Oh, what is it? Was it Murray the one with the fire flamethrower? Flame yeah. yeah. He could be yeah, fireball. Hello, fireball. No, but but no, but he's a monk. He's a he monk because he's got he's oh, yeah, karate. He does, he his yeah. hands and yeah, his his weapons are just his, his fists are like arrows. Dude, we did not talk about that scene. That's the one Russia scene I truly love because, like, they, it's so easy to have them when they're on their plane. Murray's whole karate talk be just a complete joke, right? Like, uh, mm -hmm. this guy talked about his karate, but he's stupid and terrible at it. And the fact that he's just like, oh no, Murray's actually good at karate. I was like, I love that. Good for Murray. <laughs> like, justice for Murray, and he got it this season. So I'm ex I'm ecstatic about that. I love that moment. 
Well, on that note, Kevin, I'd love to finish off by just going around the horn here. Now, Josh and I, one of the things we did throughout our podcast is we awarded MVP points every episode to the character that we loved the most or just wanted to honor the most in that particular episode. The overall winner was indeed 11, squeaking out just above Max in the end. I would love if you could... Yeah, I mean, she she is able to, like, get her group back and does save Max's life and does, to the point that we made earlier, like, uh, have Brenner go out on her own terms. So, like, she does some, she does some shit, you know? She she's a, goes a far way from just holding her hand out at Angela doing nothing. But I would love to hear from each of you if you have an MVP, either, like, from a character or from a performer perspective for season four. Jess, you have anyone in mind? Gosh, it's so tough because I feel like there's two people, like... Max and Sadie Sink like being just the best like I'll be very clear Billy sucks Billy is the worst don't try to redeem Billy you cannot redeem Billy he's awful it annoyed the shit out of me that they thought they did and it's like like, I didn't forget I didn't forget I'm not dumb but I will say that Max, I care about. And so Max being heartbroken and feeling the loss of Billy and mourning and, 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 you know, the, my gosh, episode is episode four, right? With the graveyard, yeah, like just brilliant. Um, her with the music and the writing of the letters, like just such a brilliant, talented performer. I'm strongly believe she like put the energy into season two. Um, and so I, I have to give it to Sadie Sink and Max. I just think she did so many things. If I were to give like an honorary mention, I think Eddie deserves it. I do think like he is one of the best single season characters. Like he just brought energy. And I think he represents so many of us in terms of like, I feel like I don't belong. I feel like, you know, those people that you admire because even though the world says they're a weirdo, they are 100% genuinely themselves all the time. And like, mm. so Eddie is just a character that like I admire so much because he is so recklessly weird. Like he does not care. Um, and so just like a, a little, you know, nod of the cap to, to Eddie because I, I absolutely loved him this season. I think that's a really great vocalization of like, he's weird and he knows it and he loves it. And I think that's yeah. what Joseph Quinn brought to like, when Eddie was at his best, it truly was that strange performance for lack of a better term kevin what about you any mvp you have in mind um i love i'm gonna always love steve so he's there but i do love steve and robin i think they work so well as a pair uh but i'm also gonna have to give it up to to sadie sink and max like sadie sink's performance this season was out of control good um i'm with jess in that like billy sucks they whatever they tried to do last season i was just like what the hell are you trying to do they tried to kylo ren it and i thought that was equally stupid (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so, like, this is there with that for me. Um, but she was phenomenal all the way through. Her character, her emotions, A-plus all the way. Um, and I, uh, yeah, I mean, I agree with the Eddie stuff, too. I think what the crazy thing is for me is, like, Eddie ended up being a character I really liked, even though his first scene I hated with the fire of a thousand suns. Like, if it was just his first scene, I would have hated him forever, um, where he's in the cafeteria. Mm. I hated that. I hated that entire scene. I was ready to be like, this guy sucks. Um, but then shortly thereafter, at the end of that episode, he's playing D&D with the kids. I thought that was great. Um, and I was like, oh, this guy's cool. I don't know what you were doing in that intro. In that intro, he is every asshole that I just want to slap in high school. Just like, okay, yeah, you think you're better than everyone else here. Got it. Great. You're, you're so much more intellectual than the jocks and everyone else. Oh, man. 
uh, jumping on tables and yelling at people. What the hell? Like, it's just like running up to someone wearing a head, like headphones. And it's just like, she ignored me. Yeah, she's wearing headphones. You ran up to her, you asshole. Anyway, that first scene sucks. I hate it. But the rest of it, everything else with him, I thought was so good. So like, I think maybe that's the reason why he's not going to be number one for me is that one scene. Wow. Could not think of a better way to end this podcast than a true branded Kevin Mahadeo <laughs> rant. Man, this was this was a delight. Uh, I am so happy that you both came on and spoke all about the things you mostly loved and some nitpicks alongside a show that you really do enjoy. Uh, I, I'm so happy to have the company and I'm so happy to have the two of you on. Hopefully we'll have more opportunities in the future to bring on other PSR podcasters because as it's been indicated, there are a lot of people who like the Stranger Things, uh, and hopefully a lot of the other podcasts that we're doing as well. Let's go around the horn one more time if you want to give out the social media handles that people can follow you with, and of course the many, many podcasts between the three of us that we are currently working on in PSR. Jess, we'll start with you. Yes, you could find me at the Jess Sterling on Twitter. Uh, like Mike said, gosh, I, I'm on too many podcasts. Uh, I recently guested again with Mike on the Westworld Feedback Podcast. Tons of fun there. I've never gotten to talk about Westworld before, so that was a true treat. Um, you could find me weekly on Community Building. If you love hearing me talk about Dungeons & Dragons, we just put out a bonus podcast where we sort all the community characters into their respective D&D classifications. That was so much fun. Um, and of course you could always hear me weekly on shit 90 shows taught me over at shit 90s pod on Twitter and Instagram. I cover Dawson's Creek, boy meets world, and a whole bunch of bonus content with my co-host Sarah Ferguson. We have tons of fun over there, uh, talking about the nineties reminiscing. It is truly a nostalgic time. It's wonderful. Um, and actually coming up in just a few short weeks, speaking of teens and comics, I'm going to be covering something else very, very soon. So keep your eyes out for that in just a few short weeks here on Poster Recaps. All right. Confirmed Jess Sterling covering Riverdale starting in just a few <laughs> weeks on Poster Recaps. God help me. Dibs, dibs, dibs. I need to have a guest on that. What? Yes, yes. All right. Well, Kevin, aside from now brewing your umpteenth podcast ideal with uh, Riverdale Recaps coming soon, what do you have going on? Well, uh, Mike, you and I just wrapped a podcast. We uh, mm -hmm. wrapped the season three coverage of The Boys, and God, that was so much fun. Um, absolutely loved that season, and absolutely loved podcasting it uh, with you because yeah. just uh, your your level of pun game with these things is perfectly aligned with The Boys. So uh, <laughs> that was absolutely incredible. And uh, if you watch that show, I, I highly suggest you listen to the podcast. It's just a really fun time. We had a great time covering it. Uh, quite possibly my favorite season so far. Um, and uh, we're doing Everything is Super, which, Mike, you're also on with me right now. My uh, God. Josh Wiggler, as mentioned, and here on vacation. So uh, Mike Bloom and uh, Sasha Joseph is covering uh, Miss Marvel uh, 5 and 6. We just did episode 5. Uh, and then next week, the final episode of that series. So you can check it out on the Everything is Super feed. You can check out the boys on Everything is Super feed, too. Um, and then we have uh, YA, the YA podcast for the Post Show Recaps patrons, which you can become by going to patreon.com slash postshowrecaps uh, and get access to a ton of uh, exclusive content, including this podcast where Melissa Woodward and I are covering various young adult uh, franchises. We have Twilight, which is one of the most fun I've had covering a series, so definitely should check it out. But we're currently covering the Harry Potter franchise alongside Brooklyn Zed. Um, about to wrap it up with Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows Part 2. We've got some feedback shows coming as well for that. So uh, that's what I've got going on. 
uh, I guess I should give my handle at Kev Mahadeo. I feel like people are gonna just yell at me now about Barb on uh, on my on my Twitter. <laughs> that argument is like too many years old at this point. <laughs> Thank God, I hope so. Jesus, you never know. This show uh, might be rediscovered and rewatched in the interminable years between seasons four and five. So people are like, wait a minute, I'm mad all over again. The Kevin hates Barb. <laughs> Just, it's if someone is just someone's just like isn't this glass of milk the coolest thing ever and i'm like oh it's a glass of milk what are you so excited about i just loved that she didn't want to go to the party and she wasn't here for nancy's terrible friendship then don't go to the party i just it's just so many things there that i'm just like what a buzzkill okay buzz killington whatever you want just, <laughs> and everyone's just like she's the best she's the best Two episodes, a girl who didn't want to go to a party. I was just like, I don't want to go to the party, Nancy. Yeah, you tell her that everyone just loves this character out of control. She's the Boba Fett. She's the Barba Fett, right? Everyone Doesn't... in Williamsburg <laughs> loves that character, and that's what happened. Exactly. And then she's going to have her own spinoff show where people are going to be like, oh, maybe my, maybe we, we were fine without seeing a, a lot of Barba <laughs> Fett. Maybe she's going to go back in the back to tank. That shit bled into uh, Riverdale, by the way. First season of Riverdale, she guessed oh, yeah. uh, they had a justice for with her character. So Amazing. <laughs> My goodness. Well, you can follow me, of course, at a Mike Bloom type. Uh, Kevin alluded, and Jess actually both alluded to a lot of things that I've been doing this week. I have had the distinct pleasure of getting to podcast with these two lovely individuals so many times this week. Uh, but coming up, actually, should be out at this point by the time this is being released. I have the Westworld Season 4 Episode 3 recap with myself and Joe Garfine. Uh, last week, like Jess, I got together to classify lost characters into D&D classes. And then this coming week on Down the Hatch, Josh is still absent. So we're going to continue to keep doing nerdy shit. Uh, I'm honestly surprised that Star Trek has not really been invoked on Stranger Things. I guess TNG was like 87, so we haven't really gotten there yet. And TOS was still a little bit like... It didn't even get good until like season three. Exactly. So. I don't know. Maybe next year I'll be like, God, have you seen that Tasha Yar? Wowie, Kazowie. <laughs> She's going to be a real long-lasting, powerful character. Yeah, that'll be Robin's new crush is Denise Crosby. Uh, but <laughs> I'm getting together with the Ben Behind the Curtain and Brendan Fitzpatrick, and we are going to do a draft of making Star Trek crews with characters from Lost. Uh, so we're going to try to build a ship of Star Trek characters. Star Trek Strange New Worlds just ended. We're looking for things to do while Josh is absent. Uh, so it's going to be a very fun time. I have no idea what to expect from that. So that is coming along with a bunch of other things on Post Show Recaps as well. Only Murders in the Building is going off really well. I think what we do with The Shadows Season 4 premieres this week as this coverage with... July 12th. Yeah, with Grace and mm -hmm. Lindsay. I know uh, Loot is going strong as well. The Umbrella Academy is just finishing up, so... Even though Stranger Things content is winnowing down a bit, uh, we are just getting started, for lack of a better term, on post-show recaps. We are not quite done with Stranger Things Season 4. Josh and I have a couple of tricks up our sleeve. We do have a rematch with Vecna that is scheduled to happen at some point. Little TBD as we figure out our <laughs> schedules here, but I think hope hoping the month of July we'll be able to finish up our Stranger Things Season 4 coverage. All that being said, thank you all so much for listening and for sending in feedback as well. Again, this show in particular, even though to Kevin's point, it kind of dropped in two big lumps. It was very fun to get everyone's thoughts as they were watching it and especially their feedback as well. We really are built upon the foundations of the people that listen to these podcasts, listen to us drone on for hours about these, these silly fictional characters. And it really does mean the world to us when you all write in both about the podcast and about the show proper. Jess, 
Kevin, thank you both so much. Again, I always love any opportunity to talk with you both. And if anything we got out of this podcast, it was the fact that we know staunchly who sides on what in the Barb Civil War. Let's take up our arms. Let's take our fire guns. Take to the podcast streets. Where do you stand, people? Pick a side. But we're going to be talking again uh, in some time. Josh and myself, he'll make his glorious return to the podcast as we do something with Stranger Things Season 4. Only time will tell. But you won't be waiting as long as you will for Stranger Things Season 5. That is for sure. Again, thank you all so much for listening. Take care. Bye-bye. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry. Sorry. We're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No. Lucky Land Casino. With cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry. Sorry. We're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family cannolis and spins mean everything now you want to get mixed up in the family business introducing the godfather at chumpacasino.com test your luck in the shadowy world of the godfather slot someday i will call upon you to do a service for me play the godfather now at chumpacasino.com welcome to the family no purchase necessary vgw group void where prohibited by law 18 plus terms and conditions apply